Okay, if you are a regular at London City Presbyterian Church, if you're even a member of the congregation, I want to ask you this. I want to ask, when was the last time you stopped to consider how strange what we do in here must appear to a newcomer to Christianity? So if you're a regular at LCPC, if you're a member, when was the last time, or have you ever considered how unusual and peculiar some of the stuff we do must appear uh, to newcomers to the church? Sure, you see what I mean, do you? Take unaccompanied psalm singing (laughs) as an example. We do this for very good reasons, proper biblical reasons, of course we do. But imagine encountering that for the first time ever. Remember what that was like? It might seem very strange uh, to some people uh, who come into our church. Here's another one to consider. What about the collection? The collection. We do the collection for very good reasons to support the work of the church. But imagine if you've never been to church before. Okay, suddenly it would have seemed like the beggars from the circle line have kind of entered into LCPC and are looking for some uh, spare change. Surely it's true that for newcomers to Christianity, some of the stuff we do might appear a bit unusual at least, right? You with me? Why? begin our sermon like that well because right now (laughs) i'm about to ratchet up the weirdness about uh, 200 percent i'm about to make things even more odd in here you see for the next while in our worship service what i'm about to do is i'm about to stand in front of you and i'm about to preach a sermon on the subject of a lampstand You heard it right. I'm about to speak to you for the next week while on the subject of a lamp. And you're, yeah, you are with me, aren't you? If we adopt the perspective of a newcomer to Christianity, come on, in the wisdom of the world, that seems like a pretty strange thing to do, isn't it? A guy stands at the front, especially with a weird Scottish accent, speaking about a lampstand for a little while. That seems a little bit odd. Here is the deal. I don't do that apologetically. And I'm not doing this because uh, I feel or I'm compelled by somebody else to do this. We actually, in this congregation, we firmly believe that if God's word is handled properly, faithfully, proclaimed truthfully and accurately, then do you know what happens? God promises to bless the preaching of his word. And so maybe it is that you're new to Christianity this morning, new to this church. Do you see what that means? Yeah. Okay, the next little while might seem a little bit strange to you, but here's what might happen. God, through the preaching of his word, might change your life. Really. As we look at a few words about a lampstand, what God might do in his grace through his Holy Spirit is he might bring into your life gospel light. So first things first, what do we do? We all make sure that we have Numbers chapter 8 in front of us. So can I ask you to do that? Friends, can I ask you to turn with me back to Numbers chapter 8 just to have God's words open in front of you? So that's uh, page 117 if you're using the church Bible. Numbers 8. And the first thing that I want us to consider here is this. This is our first heading. We see here, our God as lampstand. That's the first thing I want us to consider. Our God as lampstand. Okay. Ready to look at Numbers 8? Let's consider these things together. Now, in the National Gallery 
of Scotland, the National Gallery of Scotland. It sits right there in the heart of Edinburgh. There is apparently a room in the National Gallery that is quite special. Now, this room, it looks like any other room that you might find in an art gallery. So you walk into the room and, yeah, you get it, right? There's paintings on all of the walls. It looks like any other room, but it's a room with a twist. You see, in the National Gallery, this room that is given over to the 19th century artistic movement called symbolism. So do you see it's a room with a twist? So all the paintings, they look like any, like the paintings look straightforward, they look pretty simple, but through the artist's use of color, positioning, style, all of these paintings are more than they seem. All of these paintings are symbolic, right? We get the idea? Now, this morning, you and I, as we turn back to think about the tabernacle, everyone's with me, everyone remembers the tabernacle, the place where God dwells with his people in numbers, right, in the wilderness, right? As we think about the tabernacle, what you and I have to focus on is the fact that everything in the tabernacle was similar to that. Everything was more than it seemed. Everything in the tabernacle was symbolic. You get that. We know this stuff, right? The veil in the tabernacle, symbolic of the separation for God. The altar was symbolic of sacrifice. What about, come on people, what about the table in the tabernacle? What did it symbolize? Do we know this? It had 12 loaves of bread sitting on the table. What did it symbolize? It symbolized, symbolized the presence of the 12 tribes, the people. We, we know this, right? We know it. The tabernacle, all the furnishings, symbolic. Okay. What do we need to know? Come on, if everything is symbolic and you and I today are thinking about the tabernacle lampstand, what do you and I need to know? We need to know well, what, did the, what did the lampstand represent? Like, What's the deal with the lamp? What did it symbolize? Well, this is the first of three major statements in the sermon. And I want you to hear it. Please listen to it. Boys and girls, you can stop your worksheet. Just listen to it. The lampstand in the Old Testament tabernacle, it represented and stood for God himself. The lampstand represented the place of, listen, the blessing and favor of the almighty God. Now, you're with me? That's a big statement to make. So how can can we support that? How do we know that to be true? Well, there's lots of things you and I could consider just now. We could consider the shape of, of the lampstand. Does everybody know what we're dealing with with the lampstand? It's a menorah, isn't it? It's a tree-like shape speaking of the life-giving power of God. And we could think about the actual construction of the lampstand. Have a look at verse 4 with me, would you please? Isn't this interesting? That unlike everything else in the tabernacle, which was gold-plated. So the ark even, everything gold, the old gold-plated. Do you see it in verse 4? The lampstand's different. The lampstand is made of pure hammered gold from top to bottom, speaking of the value, the worth, the priceless of, of Almighty God. So we could think about all of these different things. We don't need to. How can I say to you that the lampstand spoke of God? Because the Bible tells us that. In Zechariah, in Zechariah chapter 4, we learn that the lamps on the lampstand, they spoke of the eyes of God, the perception, the sight of God. Do do you see? This lampstand stood for the place of blessing and favor of the Almighty God. Okay, 
You're with me. We see it. Everything was represent. Everything was symbolic. We see that the lampstand represents God in the place of his favor. Okay, where, friends, do we need to go next? What's our next port of call? What do you and I need to know? Right? If we know about the lampstand, what it represented, we surely now need to know what does this particular section tell us and say to us about the lampstand? Don't we need to know that? So here, this is what we're going to do. You and I are going to work together, friends. Okay, we're going to work together. It's good and pleasant when brothers dwell in unity, is it not, after all? So we're going to work at this together. Right, for my part, I'm going to read out verse 2 and 3. For your part, you're going to try and grasp the stress and the emphasis of verses 2 and 3. I'll try and bring it out, you try and grasp it. Boys and girls, you try and get the emphasis here. I reckon you can do this, boys and girls, okay? So you listen to your minister in verses 2 and 3. Let's do it together. Like, eyes down. Follow it with me, please, if you can. So God speaks to Moses. What does he say? Let's see if we can get the emphasis here. What's this section about? God says, speak to Aaron and say to him, when you set up this lamp, this lampstand, the seven lamps shall give light in front of of the lampstand. <laughs> Read on. And Aaron did this. He sets up the lampstand in front, sets up the lamps in front of the lampstand as the Lord commanded him. So are you, do you get it? And like, are, are you with me? What's the emphasis stress here? It's not on the construction of the lampstand, is it? That's dealt with elsewhere. That's dealt with in the book of Exodus. Would you agree with your minister on this point that the stress here simply just seems to be about direction of the light? Isn't that all that this is? Like God strangely, if you will permit that, what he seems to want Aaron to do is manipulate the seven lamps on the lampstand so that they're all, the beam of them is all pointing in one direction and all pointing in front of the lampstand. Isn't that it? Isn't that, isn't that the stress here? I know your head might be hurting with how technical this is this morning and how detailed it is. So to unpack it, to explain this, this is what I want us to do next. I want you to imagine that where I am standing right now is the tabernacle. We can do this. I know Sunday morning, we can be very often tired beginning of a new week, right? But you can do this with me, right? You can imagine that this here, this area is the tabernacle of God. You with me? So what would we have? We would have, behind me, we'd have the most holy place. We'd have the veil. Here, when I'm standing at this point, would be the altar of incense. What else do we have? You ready for it? This is where we hit the ground really running. Here, on the south side of the tabernacle, stood the lampstand. And you understand that it is facing that direction. So all of the seven lamps are manipulated by Aaron now so that the light is facing there. So what do you want to know now? Come on. Come on, think about it. If the light represents the blessing and the favor of Almighty God, doesn't everyone here want to know what sat on the north side? The north, don't we want to know? You'll love the answer. You will love the answer. Because standing here, now directly under the light of God's presence and blessing and favor, stood the table of the showbread. Do you understand? Like standing illuminated here under the light of God's presence, where the twelve loaves representing the people of God. I mean, isn't it beautiful? Now you see it? Isn't it? I mean, do you see what God is doing in Numbers chapter 8? 
He's providing the high priest. He's providing his people with this visual metaphor. Now think about the order. Number seven, the 12 tribes, they all march one after the other up to the tabernacle with their gifts to worship God. And what does God do in Numbers 8? He confirms to them his favor and his blessing on this observable way. And I'll tell you why I love this so much. Do you know what you've got in your hands in Numbers 8? You have the Aaronic blessing of number six now in observable form, don't you? What was the Aaronic blessing? May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord shine his face upon you and be gracious to you. Do you see it? This lampstand showed his people that God loved them, cared for his covenant children. And that is a message that is still abundantly relevant for us today. We see here our God, our God as lampstand. Second thing I want us to consider, second heading this morning is this. We see also our Christ as lampstand, our Savior as lampstand, our Christ as lampstand. <coughs> when I was a boy, um, about seven or eight years old, living in Inverness, I had one possession that I cherished more than any other on this earth. So I had a ticket for my upcoming first football match. And as a seven-year-old, eight-year-old boy, this, like, forget my toy soldiers. You know, like, forget all of my other toys. Forget even my shin pads and my football boots. This ticket was the mission that I love more than anything else. Why? Well, maybe surprisingly, I love this ticket just for its, just for what it was. Like its present reality. Like the ticket had the badge of my supported football team on it. And when you were seven years old, that badge is everything. That's a beautiful thing. And the ticket had one of these strange hologram stickers on it as well so as a seven-year-old boy like i was just manipulating this life fascinated by this so i love the ticket for just what it was its present reality but you know what you know why i really love that ticket why did i love it because of what it pointed me to what it promised the future reality of the ticket right i knew i looked at this ticket you can imagine me sitting there on my bed holding this ticket and i knew few days time now a week maybe i'm going to be sitting with my dad and i'm going to be a football stadium and i'm going to be watching my beloved hibernian play football you see it so there's the present reality of the ticket but also what the ticket promised the future reality well you see that that idea that's again important pertinent right now because we know that these furnishings in the tabernacle they had present meaning present symbolic meaning for the people of god but why were these furnishings and items of the tabernacle why were they so special because they pointed the people ahead they pointed the people of what was to come these furnishings said something about god's redemptive plan they said something about how god was going to save his people from their sin so what do we want to know you and i we want to know what this lampstand says to us about redemption and god's work of salvation don't we so that brings me to the second major statement i'm going to make and i want you to hear it again please second statement yes this lampstand represents god 
But this lampstand points us to his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me unpack that. Let me say it again. This lampstand we're dealing with, it points us to the Lord Jesus Christ, the son of God, as the only place of God's blessing and favor upon the world. Christ Jesus is the lampstand, the light, as the only place, the sole place of God's blessing and favor. Now, imagine I'm in a courtroom. I've made a big statement there. Christ as lampstand and light, how can I defend that? How can I make my case? Well, what I could do is I could point you, Christian friend, to the Old Testament. Couldn't I? Do you know Isaiah chapter 49 reasonably well? Do you? It's an amazing moment there. It's almost in Isaiah 49. It's almost as though God is speaking to the Christ. Almost as though God is making a promise to the Messiah. Now listen to the promise in Isaiah 49. Listen to it. God says to the Christ, I will make you a light. And listen, God expands this lampstand promise to the Messiah because he doesn't just say, I will make you a light to the, to the, to Israel, to the 12 tribes. He says, I will make you a light for the nations. Christ Jesus is this lampstand, is this light to the, to, to the world. Well, I could point you to the Old Testament, but ah, it's not what I want you to do. Instead, what I want you to do, Christian friend, is to consider verses you know so well, but to come to them with a lampstand in your hand. So let me test you, good people. What about the beginning of John's gospel, the prologue of John? Come to it with a lampstand in your hand. Can you think of it? Do you get it? The word made flesh. What is it that God says? What does he say about the Lord Jesus Christ? In him was life. That life was the light of men. Or if you were here just a couple of weeks ago when we thought about Simeon, think of that story. He is actually holding Jesus in his arms, the baby Jesus in the temple. And what does Simeon declare? What does he prophesy? What does he say about Jesus? He says, this is a light for revelation to the Gentiles. And then supremely, what does Jesus himself say when he speaks to the Pharisees in John chapter 8? You all know where I'm going, don't you? Jesus stands to the Pharisees and declares, I am the light of the world. Friends, do you see it? This lampstand injury, imagery, it points us to Christ as the sole place of blessing and favor of God, or as the Nicene Creed says, who is Jesus? He is God from God, and he is light from light. Now, at this point, you and I have to pause, don't we? And we have to maybe think about some implication of this idea of the Lord Jesus Christ as the light of the world, as the lampstand. And here, what I want you to do, please, is to imagine two people sat up here with me on this bench. Two people, we have a Christian, and we also have somebody who does not believe. So first, for the Christian in here, what does this mean, Christ Jesus, as lampstand for you? Well, if that is you, if you're born again in the Lord Jesus Christ, I wonder if you notice this really critical, lovely detail in the first reading we had today. Harrison read for us beautifully in Hebrews 8, didn't he? Did you notice this detail that this tabernacle, this earthly tabernacle that we are considering and thinking about today, that it is modeled on or patterned on the tabernacle that exists today in heaven above? 
Isn't that an amazing thought? Isn't it? That this tabernacle, with all of its furnishings, is actually a copy of the tabernacle that exists in heaven. Christian, friends, do you not see how amazing that is? What's happening right now in glory? What's happening right now in heaven? Do you understand that right now, spiritually speaking, the lampstand shines and shines on the twelve loaves? Do you understand that the Lord Jesus Christ at this very moment is active for you? He is interceding right now as I'm speaking to you. Christ is working on your behalf, interceding for you right now. The lampstand shines blessing and favor. Christ is at work for you, bringing blessing to your life. Doesn't that bolster our faith? Doesn't that lead to joy and praise? But you remember there's a second person as one who does not believe. I wonder, is that you? If you do not believe, I ask that you hear this, if nothing else, in, in the sermon today, please. The Bible makes it abundantly clear for us that if we are outside of a personal saving relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, none of this is relevant to us. If we are outside of a personal saving relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, we live just now and will live under the dominion of darkness. That's how the Bible talks about it. Outside of Christ, we live in the spiritual gloom, the spiritual blackness, the spiritual dark. But if you're not believing, I wonder if you know what Christ Jesus has done, why we are so enthused to be here to worship the risen Christ. What has Christ done? Do you know this little detail that Matthew tells us about the cross? It's a marvelous detail. Matthew tells us that as Jesus hung on the cross dying, that what happened at midday, from the sixth hour to the ninth, at midday, miraculously, immediately, suddenly, darkness engulfed the whole land. It went black at midday as Christ hung on the cross. And if you're not believing, I wonder if you see the significance of that. Do you see what Christ has done? Having lived a righteous life, he didn't just die willingly. On that cross, the Lord Jesus Christ went into the darkness and he conquered the darkness for his people. The Lord Jesus Christ went into that darkness. He took the condemnation of sin. He took the guilt of our sin. He took the shame of our sin in that darkness. And why? All that this very morning you might have the opportunity by God's grace and through repentance and faith to come into the light. By looking to Christ, repenting and believing in him, to come and know the light of everlasting life. We see our God as lampstand, but we also see our Christ as lampstand. Thirdly, lastly, I want us to notice as well our church as lampstand. Our God as lampstand, our Christ as lampstand, but also thirdly, our church as lampstand. So you're with me. I hope you are with me. You are, aren't you? We've seen God provide care, this confirmation of his blessing to his people. We've seen how that points us to the Lord Jesus Christ. But I think it is surely true that in addition to these, these truths, we want application. Don't we like as we sit here as Christians, hungering and thirsting after God, we want to hear about Jesus Christ. But you and I are also desperate to know, how do we live for Jesus? 
How do we honor this lampstand? So is there any application here? Well, I think there is. I think there is reasonably straightforward for us to see application from Numbers chapter, chapter 8. But to get to this, I have to make the third and last of these uh, fundamental statements. So please hear the third statement. Listen. Yes, the lampstand points us to God. Shows us God. Yes, the lampstand points us to the Lord Jesus Christ. But in addition to that, today as you sit in this church, the lampstand is an image that God uses to represent you, the body of Christ. Now, let, let me say it again. Make sure you get it. That at this stage of redemption history, it is you, it is me, it is the church that is God's channel of blessing and favor to the nations and to the world. Allah is a mind-blowing thought, isn't it? Like, don't you with me? That the image that God uses of himself in the Old Testament is an image that God uses now for you, Christian friends. So perhaps even more than the other points. How do we get there? How can I say such a thing? How can we back this up? Well, again, let me test you. Come on, people. What is the metaphor that the Lord Jesus Christ uses in Luke chapter 8 to speak of his people? Come on, what's the image? What's the metaphor? We're just talking about the witness of his people. What does he say? What is it? It's a lamp. We are not to hide a lamp. Who hides a lamp under their bed? And then hang on a second. What about the Sermon on the Mount? We've just studied it, if you're visiting, we've just studied, studied it as a congregation. So we all know what Jesus says about the lampstand of the light in the Sermon of the Mount, don't we? Yes, we, we do, yes. We know that Jesus doesn't say just of himself, but he stands in front of his people and he says to his people what? You are the light of the world. I am the light of the world. And Jesus says in the Sermon of the Mount, you are the light of the world. And then surely, if anything, with no revelation, chapters 1, 2, 3, we've again just studied them as a church. What's Jesus about to do in Revelation? Revelation 1, he's about to write to seven congregations, seven churches in Asia. And what does John see as he turns to look at Jesus? I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of these lampstands, one like a, like a son of man, friends, you see it? This lampstand. It points to us as the church, as the place, God's channel of blessing to the world. Now, if you'll excuse the atrocious pun in light of that, is there any specific application for us to go away from, go away from here with today? Let me suggest, as I close, and I close with these three short points of application for us, for lampstands, lampstands. If you are a professing Christian, then, friend, surely it is that you must be committed to a particular congregation of God's church. Now, the elephant in the room is how much we hate that idea, I think. We live in such an individualistic society, don't we? The idea of being accountable to elders, the idea of being particularly committed to one congregation, especially in a city like London, We do not like that idea at all. But surely it is worth knowing this, that when Jesus stands before his people and says, you are the light of the world, 
It ain't singular. It isn't individualistic. It isn't individual. We are not individually lights of the world. It is plural. He is saying it of congregations. He is saying of his church, to his church, you are the light of the world. Friends, do you see? If we are going to do as a lampstand ought to do, if we are going to hold out the light of Jesus Christ effectively to the city, we surely must be committed to, we must be in membership of a gospel preaching church. Second point of application, surely in addition to that, we also active in and through a particular church. You get that? I mean, everybody in here understands that. I mean, just think of the imagery, these lamps, these flames, these seven flames constantly flickering, constantly moving in order to shoot that light. Isn't that with you and me? I mean, friends, we must be as Christians active together. We must be serving one another. We must be working together to bring this light into London. And then we end, last one, third point of application. We have to be committed. We have to be active. The third one, you and I must be ever reliant on the Holy Spirit of God. Because you know what it's like. You know what we're like. We, we tend constantly to seek to rest in our own abilities and our own talents as we seek to live for the Lord Jesus Christ. Isn't that what we do as we seek to try and witness to our families? We seek to witness to the people we work around to try and be a witness to them. As we seek to lead a Bible study, as we seek to teach Sunday school, even as we seek to preach, do you know what we do? We rest on our own methods, our own strengths, our own perceived abilities. What must we keep front and center? We've said it before. We are a lamp stand. We are not the flame. We are a lamp stand. Truly, if we are going to be effective gospel witnesses in this city, it's not our own light we seek to shed. It must be the light of the Holy Spirit of God that shines in and through us if people are going to come to know the Lord Jesus Christ. Friends, can I ask you, as I close, do you still think Numbers 8 is odd? Do you still think it's, it's strange? It is not odd. In Numbers 8, we learn of the glory and the favor of God. We learn that that glory and favor and presence and blessing of God comes through the Lord Jesus Christ and him alone. And we also learn something of the church, that we are to bear forth this light into the world. May it be, if you are a Christian in this room, may you not just be so grateful that right now, by grace, God shines on you. God pours out his blessing right now. The light of God is upon you. Don't just be grateful. Let us be resolved to go out and point people to the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's go. Let's point people to the Son of God, the one who is, of course, the light of life. Friends, let us bow and let's pray. Lord God, we thank you so much for this amazing moment in scripture where the lamps are manipulated in the tabernacle that the light from this lampstand that it is poured out beams forth on the 12 loaves of bread and the bread of presence well we thank you that ultimately scripturally we know that your blessing comes in and through the light of the world the lord jesus christ well we thank you for this we thank you that you are our light and salvation And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.